Hi there, folks. Welcome to another episode of Animation One-to-Ones brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This is Ben Mitchell, editor-in-chief at Squiggly, yet again playing fast and loose with the term one-to-ones as I'm talking with a team of two fantastic animation industry creatives to discuss My Dad the Bounty Hunter, a new animated action comedy Netflix series that drops today. Created and exec produced by Everett Downing Jr. and Patrick Harpin, the show tells the story of siblings Lisa and Sean, who, feeling neglected by their dad, stow away on his latest work trip, hoping to finally get some quality time together. They quickly learn of his secret double life as an intergalactic bounty hunter, and are thrust into a series of adventures exciting and perilous. Everett Downing Jr.'s past industry experience began as a story artist at Big Idea Productions, eventually animating on feature films such as Ice Age for Blue Sky Studios and numerous Pixar films including Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3 and Monsters University, among others. More recent projects include directing on We the People and storyboarding Maya and the Three, both Netflix series, as well as co-directing the Oscar-winning short film Hair Love alongside Matthew Cherry and Bruce Smith. Having graduated from the California Institute of the Arts and cut his teeth in the industry as a story intern at Pixar, Patrick Harpin would go on to be a head writer for the Cartoon Network series Clarence and storyboard for Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, as well as a number of animated features, including Ice Age, Continental Drift, Free Birds, The Emoji Movie, Smurfs, The Lost Village, and the Hotel Transylvania franchise. With the first 10-episode season of My Dad the Bounty Hunter hitting Netflix today, Squiggly were keen to meet the duo and learn more about the circumstances that got it off the ground, their creative dynamic, and how they hope audiences will engage with it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, first of all, it'll be really great to learn a little bit more about how you both started out in animation and ultimately how you came to work together. Yeah, I, I can go quickly through, through my background. I... I ended up um, starting my career at Big Idea, uh, working on VeggieTales way back in the day. I, did, I started as a story art artist. Um, and from there, I became an animator and I worked at Blue Sky. Um, from Blue Sky, I went to Pixar, DreamWorks, and uh, Paramount, and finally ended up at Sony. And that's where I actually ended up meeting Patrick. We worked together mm -hmm. on the Emoji movie. Yeah, I I got into animation when I basically got into CalArts uh out west and that was basically what brought me to california and uh that was where i learned that storyboarding was a job that you could do and that like fascinated me that that was like an option um because it combined everything that i love like acting cinematography um writing and so after that i i worked i kind of hopped around i worked a little on live action on this film moonrise kingdom uh and then i worked at cartoon network and then i found my way to sony and I was got to work with Gandhi Tartakovsky a lot at Sony on the Hotel Transylvania films. Um, and then I met Everett. We were both in the Emoji movie and we both were like, OK, let's, you know, let's come up with something that we're really excited about um, because, you know, no smoke with the Emoji movie, but wasn't, you know, wasn't the dream, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> a gig, yeah. a gig. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's like. It's like, hey, you're getting paid, do your job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Everett, were you part of Hand Love a little while ago? I was, I was. Um, I was one of the, the, the directors on it, actually. Yeah. Um, I, at, uh, at the time when I got approached uh, to work on that, I was at Sony. Um, I, I, I was developing a feature at the time, and um, 
the producer was also um, part of the development team at Sony. Um, she was producing Hair Lab, and she she basically invited me to consult on the short. Um, and when I was consulting on it, um, I, I I think that um, they felt that like oh they really needed my skill set, so I was invited to direct on Hair Lab, and it was an amazing experience. I loved it. Yeah, so it was really beloved. There was something because we do a lot of you know shorts coverage and that kind of thing, and there was a, a, a really strong positive reaction to that film. Does that kind of thing when a project kind of takes off like that? Does that kind of help out when it comes to getting your own ideas off the ground? I de- I definitely can't hurt. Sure. <laughs> I mean, like you know, went on to get an Academy Award, which it's like still blows my mind. Um, and yeah, I mean that just gets you like a lot of a lot of attention. And at the time, both Pat and I, we were we were pitching. We've been pitching for years, you know. Um, and separately, we were pitching our own ideas, and um, we were really excited about what what we had come up with. Then with Dad, we really felt like this was something different. So um, it just provided a great opportunity for us to kind of like get our foot in the door, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always interested in how contemporary animation series come together because there can be lots of different reasons and lots of different things in place. And um, I know it's an area a lot of the folks listening are curious about too. So I guess had this concept then been in your heads for a while? Was it a combination of ideas you had or was it developed specifically for a specific call out perhaps? I mean, yeah, we we developed this actually as a feature originally. We were going to pitch as a feature because we were in feature animation at Sony. And so we originally pitched it as that. We were pitching it around. And then it actually, um, you know, because Ev, you were working on Maya and the Three. And That's so right. and so basically we were, while we were pitching this thing around, word got to one of the series execs, our exec, Megan Casey, that like, hey, Everett and Patrick, they have this pitch. You should hear it out. Like Jorge was actually like putting our names out there and we were not established names in any way, shape or form at that point. We're just working artists. Um, But we had this pitch and we had a poster and we had our scriptment and she heard it and she liked it and basically was like, I want to start talking to these guys. Um, So it was it was definitely kind of through like word of mouth, like hearing that there's some pitch going around Um, that was kind of it kind of happened organically like that um which is really we're really fortunate for yeah i, I just want to say on that you know pat and i really did envision it as a feature and we were really like trying to push it but we couldn't get a ton of you know traction and one of the things uh, one of the reasons we went with megan because she believed in it so much and she was behind it like so much from the beginning and we're like we already have so much momentum with this person. This person is behind it. Like we should just, let's just do it. Let's just go with her. She, she gets what we're trying to do. And uh, we figured out how to do the the, the story. What we wanted to tell the justice, you know, in, in series. And uh, we're beyond excited about the results. Yeah. And TV is so much like movies. Now you watch Andor, you watch any HBO show. It's like, it's all, you know, TV is, is so elevated. It's like, no, like you, this is a great way to tell this story. It's nice to hear Jorge's name come up. We've talked to him a couple of times. He just seems like a really good dude. Um, yeah. It's nice that he kind of helps other people. I mean, it, it's not surprising at all, but uh, that's <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice there was a little kind of uh, cameo yes. from Myron the Three in the screen of that. Um, that's, that was a nice touch. That's, our, that's an Easter egg. Now you know why. That's <laughs> We wouldn't be here without, without Jorge. So. We, we owe him a blood debt. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, as far as how the series looks, and it, it's generally, it's really something seeing the strides forward that CG and series is making. And uh, was CG always kind of the ideal medium for this, or was there ever any sort of alternative approaches entertained? I think we conceived it as CG, mostly because that's where like a lot of my experience lies. Like my whole career, I've, I've worked in CG. Um, I will say it's, it's been amazing seeing that there are some moments like flashbacks where we see it in 2D. Uh, um, and it is one of those things like when we saw that, like, oh man, this would work in either one and it would look mm -hmm. fantastic in either one. So, yeah, I, I've, I've worked in CG, but it's, I'm always, used to making CG look like 2D, like on the Hotel Transylvania films. And like, I love I 2D with all my heart and I want to see it come back. So it was, I think for CG made sense for this show because of the textures, textures of the hair, the ships, the armor. You don't want somebody to have to draw all that stuff over and over. So for sci-fi, CG felt like right. But that was a big reason why we pushed to do 2D sequences in the show to also show like, oh, but... 2d you can do amazing stuff with this that you're gonna love just as much and uh so yeah we're kind of we love both of our children um, <laughs> yeah i thought those 2d sequences were fantastic um awesome and i, I quite like that sort of thing of, of how something kind of in memory has a bit of a different sensibility yes. to you know mm -hmm. what's happening in the moment um yes. uh so yeah that worked really well was that the, a different studio then who does those sequences hip mouse animation that's it Michael. cool yeah mm -hmm. yeah our, our cg side was done by dwarf image studio and all the 2d stuff was hip mouse so on that could you uh tell us a bit about the folks involved with like the design and perhaps some of the inspiration behind the visual development and was that an area you two yourselves had to direct handed yeah, definitely. I mean, we were fortunate enough. We had like an extremely talented art team um, led by like Yuki Dimmers. He was our, our production designer and Alex Konstat was our art director. Um, the Actually, the um, genesis of the style kind of was started, well, kind of, it was, it was started by one of our lead uh, character designers at the time was Brandon Wu, um, who's a really talented kid out of Cal Arts. Um, we had become friends with and he actually did the poster that we were using in our pitch uh when we brought him onto the team um we were then um we got um andrew chessworth who's kind of like pretty much our head of animation he's he's fantastically yeah yeah. yeah yeah he is yeah fantastically talented like uh ex disney animator who just came in and just elevated all those designs like brought to another level everybody kind of got their hands in there and got to contribute. Um, we were almost like at some point, we're just like shepherding this thing where it's like evolving past anything we imagined as far as like the look. And we're like, good God, look at this. Um, uh, Dylan Ekron who came yes. on was really, he was really crucial because he's a character designer, but he's also a sculptor. And he basically was able to like, okay, I'm going to take these designs and translate them translate them to 3D in a way that we can just give to our vendor and they can use. And I think that was that was something that by getting really nailed down designs that we knew were going to always look good from every angle, I think it elevated the whole show. Absolutely. Um, because it, it, always, it always kind of looks good any way you look at the characters. 
And one thing I, I would say about Dylan, the reason why he was so key is like a lot of times when you do designs and you do, you have these amazing 2D designs and they, there's something that just gets lost in translation when you bring them over into CG where they kind of like lose a little bit of that appeal. They don't look quite as like, you know, it's snappy as what was drawn, but like Dylan just had that talent of being able to like, he, he, he knows sculpting, he knows like uh, design and he can like really capture a lot of like what we're seeing on you know on paper in cg so we credit a lot to him yeah so with it being a family show i was kind of interested in whether shows i guess that you both grew up on or films perhaps that um you kind of wanted to evoke or or, or do your own sort of version of in a sense yeah i mean for me i think i was pulling more from film uh i you know, we, to me, even like a family or kids film, it's like to me, Jurassic Park was a kid's movie. I was a kid. I loved it. No one told me if that was aimed at me or not. I just loved it. I just, you know, it's like you love Terminator 2. You love all that stuff. And to me, it's like it. I think it was wanting to make something that feels like, yes, it's about kids, but it's not just for kids. It's for everybody. Um, and there's some more of a sense of danger. There's, there's more action. There's more high stakes. Um, like the stuff that, you know, we grew up on where ET it's like, is that a kid's movie? It's about kids, but anyone can watch that movie and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so that was for me, that was one of my kind of desires. Yeah. Early on, when we first were talking about the ideas, there's so many things we we talked about. Like, and that's the thing that like always surprised me about Pat. Like, he's definitely like not my generation, but he would bring up movies like you know. And I was like, how do you know like Brother from Another Planet? When he brought that up, I was like, how do you know about that movie? Like, that is so wild. Um, and, and we talked about things like Goonies, Stand by Me. You know, ET was another one. Uh, Enemy Mine, and and those that's kind of like that's what we we're pulling from we weren't pulling from as um animation as much i think the stuff we were pulling from i think was like we were looking at like the incredibles like we love like brad bird's work and stuff so um but i think our north star was like a lot of um like old school uh live action movies yeah so you get your the sci-fi premise sort of front and center but the heart of it being so kind of grounded in family and relationships and the sort of complications therein. And I, I really enjoyed the way that kind of is set up and kind of laid down as a foundation. The parents being separated, the dad being sort of slightly resistant to issues the kids are having and the daughter pulling away. Lots of things that are, are quite, if not complex, maybe not that represented so much. And I think that that's a really nice way of, of rounding out and, and, and building a universe around an action series is actually kind of giving these characters personality. And honestly, I, I still don't see it that often in mm -hmm. series. And uh, so, yeah, I was kind of wondering if hey, you, you felt the same, if you felt that that wasn't something that was happening a lot in series at the moment, and um, uh, if there was anything else that kind of prompted that element of it. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, I think both Pat and I come from like humble beginnings, right? Like, and that was a very important point of conversation. Where we're like, no, we like kids when they watch this stuff, they want to see themselves reflected. And like, you know, a lot of times, like, which is why we brought up things like Stand by Me and like ET, and because they were these things like they weren't talking down to you, they weren't talking down to kids or whatever. It's like, no, these are like issues that some people have in their families, and like, it's good for people to like especially kids to see themselves reflected. So they don't feel like, 
oh, I'm in the family where nobody gets together and like no one else's family is like this. Like, no, no, <laughs> we all struggle with these things, you know? Yeah. And there's, I mean, that's so great to hear that from you, by the way. I, I think for us, we're definitely conscious of like what the show is doing that maybe you don't see all the time. It's almost like, but we're also not that cognizant of it because we're just doing what feels right, you know? So it's like, this is what I, this is what I wish people were doing. Um, but even, I mean, even stuff like having the, to me, it's like a grounded family that makes all the sci-fi stuff feel real, even as crazy as it is. Like I love, you know, it's another movie that does that really well is like time bandits where it's like, yes, they're in this crazy you know, jumping all over time with these crazy casts, but like the kid and his family, it's very domestic. It's very grounded. It's very slice of, you know, even though it's satirical, it's like starting from that very real place before you go into, you know, down the rabbit hole. Um, I think that really, it keeps it from getting to like, this doesn't mean anything. It's like, no, these are real kids. I do care about them. Yeah. I've seen a few episodes and screener episodes um, so there's a few to go. Um, kind of looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I was wondering if there are any other kind of thematic elements the show kind of ta- takes on as it continues um, that you similarly kind of felt might not have been as represented to sort of look out for, I suppose. You know, there was one thing that um, I really loved the relationship between dad and his ex-partner um, and actually the, his ex-partner and their crew. Um, because one of the things Pat you were bringing up was um, you really liked, like in um, um, Snatch, there were these bumbling guys, like they were kind of like idiots, right? But at the same time, they're like, they were still dangerous. They were still like, no, no, they're still mobsters and they'll still kill you. They'll find you. They'll still, and they're still dangerous. And just doing that and being like, oh, yeah, Glorilox and his crew, they're a bunch of idiots. Like, oh, no, wait, no, they're very like dangerous, actually. So, uh, and, it, and that just makes it like it's it's like playing between those two um, elements is like makes it a little, I think, a lot more interesting to watch. Yeah, you're definitely going to see, Glor- you know, Glorlox is going to come back in a big way. You're going to see dad and Lisa's relationship basically get tested. You're going to yeah. see, you know, I, I like that this show gets it starts out from one place and where it ends up, I think, might surprise viewers in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's not it it's not one note. I'll say that. Yeah, that was a really nice reveal, I guess, or introduction of that character. Um, when we realized even that the father had a previous relation and that his feelings are a bit hurt. Yeah, he's trying yes. to kind of like <laughs> downplay that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very nicely done. Another thing that really kind of shines through, uh, you have this fantastic voice cast, and there's a real chemistry there. And I was curious because a lot of voice recording and voice directing is a very separate process. You have people kind of in different rooms, but it didn't really feel like that with this. It felt like they were all kind of together. And I was wondering if you were able to actually like get that to happen. We were not able to get them together, but if it feels like that, we're happy. (laughs) You know, COVID, we couldn't have everybody in the same room. Um, But if it feels that way, that's, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. You know, a, a good credit to that, I think, is just like we I'm really happy with it, like all the voice talent that we we chose, but they're just their professionalism. And like, I think that they were, you know, really like uh, connected to the material um, and they really like their characters. So I think that really helped um, all that come through. 
everybody brought their a game i mean it it uh you know, I also think too that like the actors were very game to yes. like, uh, you know, they weren't treating it like it was animation. They were just treating it like it was a role that they were getting, and that was really we really appreciated that because um, I think it I think it comes across when you hear it where it's like where they're not they're not acting down for kids. They're they're Rob Riggle is Rob Riggle, <laughs> Laz <laughs> Laz is is. You know, it, this could be like a mother's milk line or something. It's yeah. like everybody is very much got everybody understood the assignment and brought their A game um, across the board on our cast. So we're we're super grateful. I do want to shout out our two um, kid uh, leads. They're great, uh, Priya Ferguson and Jacoby Swain, because Pat and I push really hard. Like, no, no, we want kids. We want kids because it's super important. It's this part of that believability that we wanted. And those guys were such pros, man. They brought like so much to the roles of those characters, really ele elevated them. So hats off to right. those guys. Right. And like what you were saying, it's like not getting adults to do those kids. Yes. It's like, nope, yeah. like actual, actual kids who can act. No, it just, it, it lends it so much more like authenticity. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, I see cheese before the sort of, there's a sort of story arc to come as the series kind of, you know, there's an end point with it. Do you feel like this series that's launching is quite self-contained or is there a hope to carry it on with more seasons afterwards? Oh, there's, there's, there's more, more, more stories. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. cool. It was a big episode order. So there's yes. more coming. Oh, excellent. Uh, oh, that's yes. good to hear. Without saying too much. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, wonderful. Uh, congratulations on it. I'm wishing you all the best when it drops. And uh, yeah, I really think folks are going to get a kick out of it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for thank you. having us on, Ben. This is great. The first season of My Dad the Bounty Hunter is available to watch on Netflix from today. And you can follow Everett Downing Jr. on Instagram at edogdowning, Twitter at Mr. Underscore Scribble, and his website is edowning.com. You can find Patrick Harpin on Instagram at Patrick Harpin. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Animation One-to-Ones. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit like and smash that subscribe button. Ugh. If you like your podcast to be a strictly oral affair, then be sure to subscribe to Squiggly's animation podcasts on your preferred platform. If you really want to stay in the loop, you'll want to follow us on our socials. We're at Squiggly Animation on Instagram, at Squiggly on Twitter, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. And of course, our website is Squiggly.com. And I've been Ben Mitchell. I'm also on Instagram at Ben L. Mitchell, Facebook.com slash Ben Mitchell Creative, and Ben-Mitchell.co.uk. And I've officially run out of things to say. So thank you to Everett Downing Jr. and Patrick Harpin for joining us. And until next time, happy animating. Happy animating.